Let me turn this music off Cause it's too loud uh, Welcome to episode 110 and, uh, Okay, there we go Now now I can hear myself much better ba -ba -ba -ba. Um, Bullet was here for most of this interview uh, As I said, I always do the intros afterwards But he was here uh, He was napping and then he was cleaning himself but uh, I don't know where he went. He's somewhere else. Uh, I built him a huge cat tree. Um, got a little condo, as they call it, and a hammock and a bunch of towers. And he loves it up there. But he's not there now. I think he's in my my new bed that he loves, or that I love, really. He he just, it, it's whatever. It's just another place to lay. Anywho, uh, this was a very fun episode. I really, uh, I really like this woman. She, she's very sweet. And uh, I'm going to try her method. I really am. Um, and you can tell I'm in a good mood for some reason, uh, maybe because the interview was good, maybe just because the Rams are in the Super Bowl, which I don't know why I'm saying this, because when this comes out, probably the next NFL season will be starting, but hopefully we'll be defending champs, uh, if not, um, you'll hear me cry on the next episode, yes, uh, but anywho, I don't want to make this about myself, because it's not my episode, this is a wonderful ladies episode. And, uh, yeah, so let's just get to it, and uh, you guys, hopefully everyone's doing well, and if not, um, I've said before, you're more than welcome to try to reach out to me, I put my number out there, Instagram, Facebook's out there, you know, especially Instagram, I'm at My Blurred Opinion, I will talk to anybody, just, you know, let me know that you're real. Because if you're, there's a lot of people that are scamming. I don't know how many people have reached out to me to say, hey, would you like me to help promote your episode? Sure, why not? Go ahead, promote the damn thing. But we would like $49.95. Well, eat my ass. I'm not giving you that. So, and it's so many people, at least 20 people. Someone reached out to me today. And I still don't know how genuine they were, but I'm just going to go with the fact that they're fake. So I am not going to take... Um, their advice and, and, and take their help. So screw them. Um, but yeah, if you have any, if you want to reach out to me, you know, please let me know how you found me or why you're reaching out to me. Cause there's so many scammers and so many just phony profiles. Uh, if you're a person out there and you get a profile, especially from like your guy and you get a profile from a girl who is overly just sexy and it's like two pictures and there's nothing about her on the profile. Just don't add it. It's, it's a scam, okay? Same with dating sites, same with every social media. There's so many profiles where it's like, oh, they have, um, they follow, or they have 1,900 followers, but they have zero post. Or they have like one post and it's just them like on a beach. It's like, oh, fuck off. That ain't real. Um, again, um, but point is, if you'd like to reach out to me, I have put my number out there. I don't care. 267-574-4529. And if you're just going to listen to this to prank call me, I welcome prank calls too because I am cuckoo. Now, I don't, I mean, you're going to get blocked. But I mean, if you'd like to prank call me, sure. I don't care. I'll go along with it for a while. But if you're prank calling someone in 2022, boy, I feel bad for you. Anywho. 
But if you'd like to get a hold of me and you just either you want to be on the show, you have someone's story you want to share, or, or you know someone who would be good on the show, or you just want someone to talk to has nothing related to the podcast, just someone to, to cheer you up or you need a friend or whatever, please reach out to me. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I got my number. Um, I'm not hard to find. So if you want to get a hold of me, please just reach out. And um, let's just get into our next guest. Um, there's a lot of, you know, dark and sadness in this episode, but it it's all ends up very positive. And she's a, she says it in a very delightful way. I don't know if it's because she has her accent from being from from England or not, but she's you can tell how happy and positive she is. And it's, boy, I need more of that in my life. So let's get to her. And uh, yeah, bada boom. Oh, I hope I hit the right button. Okay, guys, back again. Um, you know, I feel like I, I say this at nauseum because I'm constantly repeating myself, but um, you know, the, the guest list continues to to pile up when it comes to where I'm finding them from. When it comes to like Podmatch, it I really really enjoy this website. I was happy that the creator sent it to me, a uh, link, and I subscribed and all that. And so you know, another guest from there, and uh, this was one that another guest that reached out to me. Um, kind of told me a little bit about her story and, uh, she kind of has an interesting take and how she got through it and continues to battle through it. So, um, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself? Okay. Thank you. My name is Anne Hintz, H-I-N-C-E, and I'm originally from England. I live in California now. And like a lot of us, especially probably those people listening to this podcast, I had a lot of trauma in childhood. I had two alcoholic parents, um, life was hell at home. And when I was 19, I woke up one morning and found my mother dead in the bathroom, which obviously was quite traumatic at the time. And I had no idea what to do with it. I just kind of went on with life. I did just suppressed it all because that was my normal. I didn't know what else to do. And so kept on living my life, came out to California, got married, had kids. I was a software engineer. And then in my late 30s, I was a stay-at-home mom with my two young boys. And I had some kind of business altercation with some other mothers at school. I didn't do anything that I felt was wrong, but they felt I'd done something wrong. And my mind just started going out of control. It would just spin. It would go through the scenario over and over and over again. And I didn't sleep for days. And I recognized at some point that that is not normal. And so I started thinking about it and started to realize, well, maybe it was something from childhood that, that I hadn't dealt with. And what came to mind was actually my dad's drinking and, and the way he behaved. Right. But within you know, a short time after that, I actually had a doctor's appointment. And I don't remember what it was for, but he recognized that I was way more stressed than I should be in the situation I was in. And so he asked me on a scale of zero through 10, how stressed I was. And it was an eight out of 10. And then he asked me why. And I knew straight away that it was from finding my mum dead on the bathroom floor because the tears were still so close to the surface. Yeah. Can you, can we put a bookmark in this? Cause I want to kind of tell more of the beginning of how you got to this way. And then, um, you know, like we'll, we'll, we're going to get back to this, but I just, I want to get to kind of like your childhood and then, 
Uh, is okay. That, is that okay? Sure. Yeah. Um, so you said that you had two alcoholic parents and, you know, not the greatest childhood. Like from what, what do you remember? And like, what, like, do you remember like what age when you started to realize you kind of had this, you know, uh, abnormal household? <laughs> Gosh. Um, well, it was probably pretty early on. I was adopted and I was adopted into the family um, after my brother. So my brother was adopted in first. And then they adopted some another little girl. Mm -hmm. And the birth mother changed her mind after six months, which was the time frame back then that you were allowed to change your mind. So she was taken back by her birth mother, and I was the replacement into this family. And so obviously there were things that went on at that point because my parents would have been afraid that I was also going to be taken away. And my brother had some definite issues with me being there and whether that was because he had been attached to this other little girl and she disappeared and I replaced her or whether he just wanted the attention that he got when there was no one else there. I don't know, but there was certainly a lot of things that went on with him. Right. Now, and did so did you ever, yeah? meet, did you ever meet your real parents or your biological parents? I should say. Yeah, I have, a, I have a really interesting birth story. So the adoption, my mother was, my birth mother was handed the wrong adoption papers for a moment and she saw our last name and the village that we lived in and that village only had one big employer and she had a cousin that worked for the same company and she found out where our family was and she actually followed us as we moved around the world because we lived in different countries around the world and so she contacted me when I was 17 so I've met, I've known her since then. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you, but I just was because actually because <laughs> the, okay. the, the irony of it is the episode that's actually going to be coming out on the day we're doing this or the day after we're doing this or tomorrow. Um, it's actually about uh, a woman who is uh, went through the child care the uh, Jesus I can't even think today the um, adoption care and and she. Uh, tells her story of going, having bad and good experiences and then actually going back and meeting her, her real parents and so on. And um, so kind of, it's kind of the irony of that, you know, cause that's one thing you didn't tell me that you were <clears throat> adopted, which is fine. But um, so I was just, and just was curious because like I said, the episode that's coming out tomorrow is in a way somewhat similar. Um, Interesting. So when you, so how, how, how long did you, were you adopted when you were an infant? Were you adopted at a you know a young child? How were you know when were you actually adopted? Right, I was actually adopted at six weeks old. So that kind of brings up some more trauma. So I was actually born with my right foot up against my right shin. So those I needed six weeks of physical therapy, wow. which um, which I now know actually stored tension in my body. Um, so I had to have that before I was allowed to be given away for adoption. So I now know how much adoption is a trauma right? because you're, you're suddenly taken away from everything you know and everything that feels normal to you and put in a situation that feels totally abnormal to you. So I, I had a lot of um, years in my life where actually I was afraid of leaving home because I was afraid I wouldn't come back because that's what happened. I was taken away and I never came back home again. When, when, were, when were you told that you were adopted? Because obviously you won't know in six months or six weeks. Right, not until I was 13 and my brother was 15. Okay. 
Is he is he a biological brother or is he also adopted no. from a okay? He's adopted from a different family. And in fact he he found his birth mother decades later and she would never see him. She wouldn't she wouldn't see him, which to me is heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> he must have been heartbroken and he has already died. He he uh, he went along more with my parents, so he kept going. He became an alcoholic and um, died of multiple organ failure. Um, he, he smoked nonstop, so he kind of went along with what we grew up with, whereas I kind of went in the opposite direction. Interesting. Yeah, no, but I think that that happens a lot, um, whether it's biological or adoptive. Like, you, you tend to see parents or children, especially when there's more than one, a lot of times one goes one way and one goes the other way. And it's usually the extreme either way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So I had early on traumas around my brother. And um, so I recognized, I think fairly early on that that wasn't normal. I remember him trying to kill me one time by um, pushing me under water in the swimming pool. So there was a lot of weird things um, that went on and as time went on both parents started drinking more and more and my dad had anger issues so I kind of stopped talking because he was always right there was no point giving my opinion at any point because what's the point <laughs> he was always right so I, I do remember making that conscious decision to stop saying anything did you ever did you ever have that feeling or like did it carry on through your life where you always it, it translated to other people and other conversations you would have where you felt like what you had to say didn't matter beyond just your father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was programmed into me. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, and and he he um, criticized and made fun of my voice a lot as a child. So um, I'm not going to talk. <laughs> and then when we were, we lived in Hong Kong when I was. Eight, nine, ten, eleven—that that, that um, age range—and we were sent to boarding school in England. So, as a nine-year-old, I was sent across the world with my brother, and I was the first girl boarder at a boys' boarding school. Yeah. So there were some girls girls there during the day, but then they would go home, and I was teased mercilessly by the boys in that school because I was the only girl there and um, I had really awful teeth. So they had something to pick on and they did. So that shut me down as well. Yeah. And now when they, when they said your, your voice was awful, your parents, like, were they not European? Like, I mean, I know you were adopted. So you were so what were they saying was wrong with your voice? My dad would just tease me because I didn't have the confidence. I had a, a childish, squeaky voice, oh, okay. which I would do to kind of protect myself. And so he would tease me, so I would do it more. And he'd tease me, and I would do it more. I was like, there was no way that there's no way that teasing someone is going to allow them to open up and talk with more confidence. That just doesn't happen, at least not in my world. Right. Yeah, what what is it like being like the one sober one in the house? And I say that from I'm a person that's never done any drugs or anything. I've had sips of alcohol and stuff, but I just I particularly just don't like it. I think it's disgusting. But I mean, you like whatever you like, it's fine. Um, but I've been the one in the room where everyone is like drunk, um, and not necessarily belligerent in the sense of like aggressive or or ignorant. They're just belligerent in a way of just like hey party, and they're just having too much fun. They're laughing for no reason. 
But like when you're the one sober person in the room, you're just like, oh, this is like gross. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, I mean, this is what you guys need to have fun. So like, what is it like to be the one person in a household where you're, for the most part, you're the only one that's sober? Well, you realize that that's not their true selves. I mean, we I could never trust anything they said because the next day it would change. So there wasn't any trust in me at all for what they said. And it wasn't necessarily with my parents. It wasn't necessarily at the same time. So my dad would drink, start drinking as soon as the pubs were open um, and then and then come back from the pub in England. They would, they would like have an a lunchtime opening and then they would close and then it opened again in the evening. So he would come back at closing time, lunchtime, like two or three in the afternoon, totally plastered. And then that's when my mum would start drinking and she would drink the rest of the, the night and she would drink, drink a bottle of sherry a day. And so that I would find myself trying to distract her in the morning, just try and do something with her so that I could delay the time that she would start drinking because <laughs> I liked her in the morning, but then, um, you know, go out in the afternoon or go to work and I'd come back and it'd be a totally different person. It's kind of like your, your family was like playing tag in a way where it's like your dad goes and drinks and your mom's like, well, he's insufferable to deal with when he's drunk. So I have to get drunk. And then your, your brother was probably so tired of dealing with them or he's like, well, no, I have to get drunk. Like it, it just became a way of coping and just not dealing with each other. Yeah, probably because we didn't know how to deal with, it, with each other. We never talked about emotions. So my mother had uh, throat and lung cancer and that's what she eventually died of when I found her in the bathroom. But we were told that about six months prior to that, that she had terminal cancer mm. and we only talked about it that one day. We never mentioned it again after that first day that we were told about this. Right. So we just, um, I mean, seems so odd to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was she a smoker? She was, yes. Smoking and drinking, yes. Well, Lung and throat cancer. Yeah, well, see, like, I, again, one of the things I do want to get into you with is like the because now that you live in America, like the difference in like the acceptance and the rules for for drinking over here. But I know smoking in a lot of other countries is, is just kind of normal. Where we're trying to kind of get rid of it and ban it in 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 a lot of ways, even though it's still free to do it, it's legal to do it, but you can't just go into a bar anymore and do it. Um, but I know like in a lot of Asian and European countries, it, it's just it's like how it used to be here in the states, where you just smoke wherever you want. Yeah, and my they would they were both chain smokers, couple of packs a day each, and so yeah, we lived with secondhand smoke a lot of the time, even in cars. Like they, my dad hated us opening the window to let the smoke out. He would get angry when we would ask to open the window. So we we just breathed in secondhand smoke. And yeah, that's just another form of child abuse, honestly. Um... But like, so, so what have you, is there any rule like laws that are different here in the States than to where you were living in England as far as alcohol goes, whether it's the, the age consumption, you know, the year you can, you can start drinking or just how freely and accepting it is, you know, can you, can you get in trouble for drinking and driving, things like that? Yeah. I mean, the drinking age in England is 18. Okay. So, so three years people, difference. Yes. Yeah. But it's just much more accepted in England because of the pubs. Right? The pubs were the social places. That's where you went to meet your friends. That's where you went to play darts. That was where the families would go 
And when you're there, people would drink pints and they would drink pint after pint after pint after pint, this incredible amount of alcohol. And I don't see that happening here. To me, it was very different moving um, from England to here. I, I just see the consumption. It feels different here, uh, but maybe that's also where I moved to. Maybe that's California for you. Yeah. Um, but also the smoking. I mean, people in California, people just, they don't smoke. I don't see people smoking. And there it was, it was just everywhere. People just did it. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't think about it even. Yeah, you're finding less and less, but you're finding way more people that are starting to smoke marijuana than they are cigarettes. Now, there's still plenty of people who smoke cigarettes, but it, it's more, it's a lot more frowned upon. Like one of the things that I come across, especially in the other job that I have, was people who are wearing a mask because of COVID, but then they want to borrow a cigarette from you. I'm like, are you shitting me? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> what are we doing here? You, so you're, you're worried about COVID, but not cancer. Okay. And you carry on with yourself. Um <laughs> But I mean, one of the things that alcohol is a problem in this country is the drinking and driving. <clears throat> Same with the texting and driving and all that, because, you know, that that does attribute to a lot of deaths in this country. Um, is it the same over there or do people just travel differently over there? It is the same over there. I mean, and I think there's probably a lot more people drinking and driving over there because they're at the pubs. They they drive home. My brother lost his license a couple of times, had multiple DUIs. My dad would drive absolutely placid. He would drive us home. He would go, he would go slowly, but he kept telling us, you know, I think I'm doing pretty well here. Don't you agree? Yeah. Well, that, that's, <laughs> and it's like, no. that's why it's always interesting when people break down like the, the crime rate in different countries where they talk about how you guys don't, ha or, well, your former guys, uh, you know, the, over there, like in the UK, like they don't really have guns. But when you look at the crime rate, it's, you know, of course, the, the, the murders by hammers and knives is way higher than ours, but also, you know, you got the, the constant amount of drinking and just the acceptance of a lot of other things that we don't accept as much, I guess. Like a lot of it happens over here. And a lot of times we pretend like we don't accept it. It's just over there. It's free to do what you want more. So whereas here we kind of pretend like we don't do some of the stuff or we're, we're, we're better than others, but we're really not. We do the same crap. It's just, um, it's just not accepted in the, the public eye, I guess, as much. Yeah, I mean, the, it wasn't part of my story, but the guns is definitely different here, right? Because I've had my oh, two yeah. boys go through the school system here. Mm -hmm. And in England, you know, they just they just aren't guns. You don't have to do those practices to, right, to hide in the school in case there's a, scoot, a shooter. That, that doesn't happen in England. Right. So that is definitely something that is not good in America, right. I would say. Yeah, and there's that, that's the reality of it. Like, there's pros and cons no matter where you live. And again, America has a lot more pros in comparison to a lot of these, like, slum-like, you know, uh, countries and villages and so on. Like, yeah, but, you know, when you look at America, there's plenty of problems that a lot of people don't like to address. Um, like, the, like, like just for instance, and we can get off of it, but, like, what, what's, like, the homeless community over there? Is it big or is it just non-existent? That's a good question, and I actually don't know because I haven't been there for so long. Okay, okay, fair enough. But I mean, when you yeah. when, when you go to major cities in in this country, and in California is one of them, uh, like L.A., the the homeless community is, is I think it's the second biggest population or third biggest population. I think it's second to to New York, um, and well, California is such a big state anyway. But you know, that's where you have um, oh 
Skid Row is is in California. Um, and that's a huge problem in this country where we just have people we don't take care of. We just, you know, if, if you lose your money, you lose your house, like, good riddance. Like, you know, find a way on your own. Um, you know, but yeah, it, it, I was just curious about how it was over there because that that is one of our problems that we don't like to address. Also, the drug problem. The drug problem is is ridiculous over here. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to look and see how they're doing it in England, but they do tend to look after people more because they've got um, health care for everyone. Right. So that in itself is going to make a difference, even though, you know, I hear you have to wait quite a while in order to get an appointment, but they do have that. Right. Um, so which which one of your parents died first? Was it your mother? Yes. Yeah, so that was when I was 19. Yeah, and at the time my dad was living in a working in a different country oh okay now it was was she kind of like i'm getting the the sense that she was kind of the better of the two parents um yeah she didn't have the anger issues she she bait i think she gave up she when i was 13 and my brother was 15 so it was actually around the time that we were told we were adopted she also asked us her children whether it would be okay if she left our dad if they separated and she wanted to leave us with him. And, you know, I've learned since that's not a question that you should ask your children. That's a decision you have to make yourself, but she didn't. And we both said, no, like, no, don't, don't leave us with him. And so she didn't, she stayed. And I think really that was the turning point for her. I think she gave up and she basically pickled herself. Yeah. She kind of just consumed all the, debauchery that she put into herself and just said, okay, this is it. Like I'm, this is how I'm going to deal with myself. Um, now could, this is like a two part question. Could, could she have kids and do you feel like he never wanted them and she just kind of pushed him into it as far as adopting? (laughs) She, she, she wanted kids. She got pregnant and she had an ectopic pregnancy. So that's where the, the egg implants into the fallopian tube and these days, these days, they can deal with that. But back then, they did a full hysterectomy. Oh. So she found out she was pregnant. And the same day, she also found out she could never have children again. Interesting. Yeah. So she, I think, pushed him into adoption. He told us after she died that he had never wanted to have children. Right. That was my guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so he just kind of, I think there was some anger and, and resentment towards going along with this whole, oh, let's adopt some kids. Um, yeah. Plus it was difficult. My brother was a difficult child for sure. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, so, so you, and you were kind of talking about, so what was it like to actually find your mother dead? Your dad is traveling. He's living somewhere else right now. And um, are you and is it you and your brother in the house or is it just you finding her? My brother was at his girlfriend's house. I was a new girlfriend. I'd never met her before and I didn't know where she was. So it was just me in the house. I woke up and it was quiet, which I knew was a little odd because my mama always had the radio on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so then I, I needed to pee. So I went to the bathroom and yeah, she was, uh, she was in a pool of blood on the bathroom floor. So yeah, that was a shock. What's, and what's the blood from? It was a tumor in her throat had burst. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So it actually started in her bedroom. So um, later on, we went into her bedroom and there was blood 
all over the bedroom too. And so that was part of my, um, like the emotions that were stored inside of me that she had walked from her bedroom across my bath, my bedroom door to get to the bathroom. And, and so I had some guilt that I didn't hear her. I didn't hear her walk oh. or whatever she did. I didn't hear her go from her bedroom to the bathroom. Yeah, so then I I called my aunt. I called nine back then. It's nine 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 in England. It was, and that's the nine 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 over here. Yeah, and I had to. They had to. I had to look through her diary. They wanted to know when she'd had a last a doctor's appointment, and because it was with us within a certain amount of time, then the police had to come, and then I had to find my brother. And I called his work and they had someone run and find him. And then he came home with his girlfriend who I'd never met. And yeah, they came and they, they took her away. And then I had to call my dad who was in Saudi Arabia at the time. And yeah, he came home a few days later. I don't remember how long it was, how long it took him to get home. And then the first thing he wanted to do was get everything of hers out of the house, which to me was a really strange decision to make and to make us do it. He, he wasn't going to do it. Wow. So, so yeah, so we had to get rid of all her clothes and everything of hers. We had to get right out of the house. Did you have like the feeling of like, Oh no, like now we're stuck with him now. Yeah, that, that was, that was there. You know, but then there's always the hope. I always had the hope that something would change and, Someone, they would stop drinking. He would stop drinking. But it didn't take much, you know, and he would go straight to the bump. <laughs> when, when he was actually sober, was he a decent guy or is he still kind of the same person, just worse? Uh, he was, I mean, he was somewhat decent, but now, you know, I know he had narcissistic tendencies or was a narcissist. Right? He, he wanted you to be there. He wanted to talk to you and he wanted always to be right. So he sucked energy from people. So, yeah, it was, and I had to walk in eggshells. He didn't like loud noises. He didn't like people coming to the house. He didn't like me having friends, anyone coming to the house. How about your, so, yeah. how about your mom when she was sober? Is there a difference? Oh, she was fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just coming, I was just coming around to that age where I was actually willing to talk to her. You know, I'd kind of pushed her away and was kind of coming back around. I was yeah. in my, uh, I went to university when I was still 17. So I was like in my second year of university, but I was at home for a, um, a nine month work experience. So yeah, I enjoyed her in the mornings, but then um, not so much in the evenings. Right. Um, how much later, how many years later or whenever did your father end up passing? Uh, that was when I was like, uh, about 38. So quite a lot oh, later. Oh, and wow. he did actually, yeah, he did actually meet someone else. He wanted me to stay in England to be his housekeeper. Essentially. He wanted me to come home after university and to look after him. And there was no way I was doing that. But luckily I'd already met my now husband. I'd met him before he moved out to California. So I moved straight out after I graduated. Um, where, I'm sorry, I'm just, just trying to get the time frame for everybody. What about your brother? Was that somewhere in the middle when he passed? He passed just a few years ago. Oh, wow. uh, so I think he was like 52, 53. Oh, so he was but yeah, he was, a, 
he was a heavy alcoholic for a long time. Yeah, and yeah, we we didn't we didn't get on very well. Wow. Yeah. Um. So when you finally like met this guy and you started to just kind of move on with your life, was it like one of those like movie scenes where? you know, they like put the dynamite in the house and they hit the button, they just blow it up and they drive off in the sunset. Like you were just kind of done with this life and you were just happy to just a new scenery, a new person in your life that cares about you. And you just kind of clean your hands of all the, the shit that has been brought upon you. <laughs> um, well, I, I met him when it was all going on. So I met him when I was 18 right. and then he moved out to the States. So and it was our meeting was pretty amazing because we met in our little cars and I overtook him and I ended up driving behind him for miles and miles to this other little town and then through the town until this industrial estate and he thought I was following him but I wasn't I worked there too <laughs> so, oh. so that was kind of an amazing meeting and then uh, we just kept in touch and then I moved out here so things did change dramatically once I moved out here like different set of people, different vibe. And so I did let most of it go, except that it lived inside of me. Right. right? And, it, and I recognized that my mind was replaying all these things. So, And you were in your 30s at this time yeah. when you moved? I moved when I was 21. 21, oh, okay. So two years after my mother died. Yeah, and then, you know, it was all pretty good for a while, right? I was a software engineer, I was in Silicon Valley, but my mind would play tricks on me. You know, my mind was really negative. I was very reactionary, right? I, I really had PTSD from being at home around my dad. So I was very reactionary. I never thought I was very good at anything, even though, you know, my boss and everyone yeah, seemed to think I was. But, yeah, I didn't, so... Yeah, so things went on like that. And then I had my boys, you know, it was it was even a little scary getting to the point where they were coming up to the age of the boys at the boarding school because I knew I had fear of 9, 10, 11-year-old boys. You're talking <laughs> about your, your actual kids, right? My actual kids, right? I, I didn't want to be afraid of boys. So that was kind of part of the whole unraveling of everything that I needed to work through. Yeah. Just a quick sidebar. Like, do you, what was it like to actually find someone that loved you and cared about you? And obviously like you were getting judged for your teeth and your voice and all these things. And now you actually have someone who finds you attractive and wants to have kids with you and all that. Like, did that help at all as far as mentally at that point in time? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yes, it really did. I mean, cause I, I didn't, my experience of love was not what people normally think of as love. <laughs> so to find someone who really did, yeah, it was, it was freeing in many ways. Yeah. Cause you're, but only for, your only for the moment, of, right? Yeah. Cause your perception of love is just this abuse verbally and alcohol and just all these things that just death of course. And, you know, you don't really know what it's like. To, I mean, even just like with your mom, where she she was very kind at certain points, but you had to catch her at certain parts of the day. So, and then of course your dad and um, right. And my mother, I only remember her hugging me one time in my life. Now I'm sure she did when I was young, <laughs> but you know, after those first few years, I only remember that happening one time, and it was when I got an A in my first exam. 
what's that like did, did it take you a while to like accept like his love like not not just like oh i love you and want us have kids and get married and all that but just the idea of a person that finds you attractive and he wants to just hug you and it's genuine it's not just you know he, he doesn't you know he actually likes you for everything that he says and he's not putting you down like what what, what was that like to just like try to accept it was tricky actually um, because I didn't necessarily believe it. I, I couldn't believe my luck and I never felt I was good enough for him. Never felt that. Right. <laughs> that that's only recent that that has changed. Good, good. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it and again, and I'm, I still deal with it. I'm, I'm single and I don't have kids, but I deal with it even to this day. It's just, there's a lot of neglect. And again, not necessarily just for my, like not for my family, like my mom and dad necessarily. I mean, I had a complicated relationship with my father, but just everyone else. And, and just, I went through a lot of abuse and I know you heard some of my story and stuff. And so I went through so much trauma that to this day that I'm trying to work out when someone actually gives me a compliment or someone says something nice, like, oh, you're attractive. It's like, it's hard for me to accept sometimes. And uh, I'm I'm getting better at it, but I, it, it's still hard because, um, you know, you hear so many negative things towards yourself. You know, that's the thing you, for some reason, grasp onto and you tend to just never let that go. And it just haunts you for a while. Yeah, I remember my second boarding school, which was an old girls boarding school. <laughs> there was someone there who, who had obviously been brought up in a loving, stable home. And she gave me a compliment one time and I, I pushed it away. That was my normal, right? It's like, oh no, that's not me. And she asked me one time, she said, why do you do that? Why do you always push compliments away? Can you just accept it? And that was eye-opening to me because no, I had never accepted it. Yeah, no, no, no that's awesome though, that you found someone who actually just loved you for who you were and, you know, I mean, how, how honest were, like, how long did it take you to be, like, fully honest with him about your past? Because, like, you know, he's trying to give you hugs and he's trying to show you affection and you're you're kind of not as being, a, I can't speak today, you're not being as accepting as you should be because of your PTSD. Um, so, yeah, how long did it take you to actually explain, you know, your situation? I don't know, a long time. I mean, I don't think he's even heard some of the things I've just said here. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> because he he doesn't have, you know, I, I, a lot of my story, I think of through the law of attraction, right? We attract what's inside of us back to us. So he hasn't experienced this trauma in his life. So there's really no attraction from him to hear these stories. Yeah. but that kind Now of you have, you have, so it's, easy to say it to you because there's no energy blockage between us yeah but that, that's like a good that's a, it's kind of how you balance each other out because it's like even like when you both kind of when you, when you go to talk to your kids like you have some of the horror stories to, to stay away from but he also has what how good life can be and obviously you have some of that now too but you know you guys can give them different lessons but also it still stays somewhere in the middle for a balance because you can't have good without bad or bad without good. And, um, you know, and you, you don't want to just like, obviously you don't want to desensitize your kids to what, like everything is just bad. So just get used to it. But also you don't want to just tell them everything is good either because it's not, the world can be very, you know, cold 
Um, and, and, you know, and you know that firsthand. So in a way, it's kind of a good balance, especially when it comes to teaching your kids just life lessons. Yeah, and I've come to the realization that I, I think the more trauma we have in childhood, the more capacity we have for spiritual growth. And that understanding and belief inside of me actually allows me to let my children go more, yeah. right? To not try and, you know, look after them as much and just allow them to experience life because if something bad does happen, then I know that it gives the, them the capacity to reach beyond that and let that go. Right. Um, now, I, I, and again, one of the things you left off with was this doctor's appointment. Did your dad die before or after that? Before. Before, okay. Before so, that. So yes. what, what was it like? I mean, I'm assuming, what, did you get a call? Yes, he, yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> he had a new girlfriend, so he was living with his girlfriend. And he did stop drinking, mostly and he stopped smoking for her, so he could do it. Wow. He just couldn't do it with my mother. So, and yeah, he had Alzheimer's at the end, and he had cancer at the end, and and he was really lucky that he had her, and she was willing to look after him because, yeah, I'm afraid I wasn't going to go back and help him. Now, were, were you kind of relieved? Were, like, did you, I mean, I'm sure somewhere deep down you still, I mean, as much as he was like an ass to you, like I'm sure there was a party that felt sorry for him too, because this, I mean, I don't, I don't know what his family was like, but a lot of this usually is a cycle that's passed down from someone else. Yes, indeed. Yes. I realized through the work I did. So mostly after he died, I, I recognized that he was always afraid to go and visit his parents. Like when, when he had to take us with him to visit his parents, he was always on edge. So I know that he must have had a hard childhood too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and one of the reasons why this episode is very important to me, just, uh, just as it's unfolding, is because I mean, my uncle Bill just died recently and he, you know, he didn't necessarily die from alcoholism, but alcoholism basically was what caused a lot of these other problems, all his breathing issues and everything. It just ended up happening to him. Um, and he was just suffering and he's pulling his teeth out because he just drank his teeth like we're just rotting and he wasn't taking care of himself. Um, but the one thing about him, like he, he was a, like everyone knows him as a super kind guy. He's so talented. He basically built his whole house, like everything around his house, all the stone and the woodwork, like he's so gifted and talented. But then once he, he took over and just started drinking, he became just a totally different person when no one wanted to be around him. Um, and you know, I saw again. I, you didn't really get to see the beginnings of what your, you know, uh, stepfather became. But you know, I I knew him, maybe more of his middle age. But but I knew him way younger when he was just a sweet guy, and he and again so gifted. And then you see the difference when he's drinking, and it just took over his life, and it ruined so many relationships at a point where it's like everybody is like trying to figure out like when we do a funeral like how many people want to show up how many people want to say what they really want to say because he hurt a lot of people because of the mistakes he made and it doesn't take away from all the good he did because he he deep down he was a great guy but you know it was passed down from his family um and and again it's just it, it ruined his life and it eventually became you know the end and he couldn't do it anymore. So, um, and again, I could be more sympathetic towards him because I got to see the good parts of him and he wasn't 
as abusive as obviously your stepfather was. Um, and he was never like that towards me anyway, but just in general, like, it's just, like I said, it's very parallel because it, it, it's sad to see someone, just anybody fall apart, whether they, you can only see the bad or some of the good and how it leads up to the bad. But, um, when you see someone just completely fall apart, it's, it, it's really sad. Yeah. You, you know, they're hurting inside. Yeah. And, and they probably can't express it the way they want to. And, um, you know, because you, and, and honestly, you have every right to feel like, thank God he's dead because he's just was a, he was just a terrible person. But then there's, you know, the human part, cause you're a, you're a kind person and you can, you know, you have that feeling of like, like, how did it get here? Like, how did he get here? Like we all, we all start off as these innocent children and then life hits us and then we turn into whatever we turn into. And he didn't just wake up some as a baby and just roll over and just start drinking beer. And that's, that's not how it works. So somebody had to put it in his mouth and eventually just, he has to take responsibility for what he did. But, um, you know, like I said, it is sad when somebody dies, no matter how awful of a person they became, it is sad to know, like when you hear like what their backstory was and how it got to that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know now that, you know, we start out, we do, we do start out as these pure beings and, and underneath all this baggage that we've been holding on to, we are perfect beings underneath. But some of us want to address that and release it. And some of us just want to suppress it and we keep going. Yeah. Um, did, you know, just like one more thing about your mother. Like, was she, do you know, like, did she start her drinking problem? Did it start from when she was with your father or was this something that was also, you know, part of her backstory as far as like brought down from her family? Everyone I knew drank in England. They, they always, they always drank alcohol pretty much every day. I don't, I don't remember any time that they didn't. So there was always a basis there. So she just built on that. Fair enough. Yeah. That makes more, that's right. I forgot it's, it's a different culture too. So, uh, it's just more freely to just drink as much as you want. Um, yeah, just part of society, just the pubs, the pubs are fun. I mean, it, it's really nice to have somewhere that you can gather socially, but it also involves alcohol. Right. Um, so talk about the, like the lead up to this doctor's appointment. Like what made you, like, what was the reasoning for your, your reason for going? I don't remember. I, it was probably something to do with my boys, maybe. I just I don't remember why I went. I just remember him noticing, and he was a holistic physician, you know, so he wasn't a regular one. Um, but he noticed how tense I was, how stressed I was, and which is why he asked me. <laughs> right, and it was it was there really was no reason for any stress. You were just stressed out and just anxious. At a, just like an odd time to be anxious. Like you guys are just having probably a conversation about whatever your kids or, or whatever you guys were talking about and you're showing anxiety for no reason at all. Yeah. It was just my normal, it was my normal state of being. Right. But, but not, he recognized it wasn't. Yeah. Normal. Yes. Not normal yeah. for anyone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When, when he was like talking to you about it, like, did you immediately like, go on the defense or do you like kind of give in and say like, you're right? Well, he asked me on the scale of zero to 10. So <laughs> there's not too much defensiveness. 
okay. in, at that point, once when I said, "Oh yeah, I think it, it's an eight. I, I could I could tell that it was it was. I felt pretty stressed. <laughs> so yeah, that's when he asked me, and and why is that? And so it was right there, right. I didn't even have to think about it much. I, I knew that the tears from finding my mum were still just they were still just there. Right? If I thought about it for a moment, the tears would come. So I guess they were ready to they were ready to come out at that point. Wow, yeah. Did, did at that point did you like did you never really like officially bury her in your mind? I guess not. I guess I never I never cried the tears that that needed to come out. I, I didn't know how to. I, I just life just went on. I mean, the the Christmas after my mum died, so she died at, um, in summer. That Christmas, my dad wanted me to cook the Christmas dinner, like to cook a turkey. I don't, I didn't know how to cook a turkey. Maybe some nineteen year olds do, but it's like, right. and he invited his family over for a Christmas dinner. And expected me to create a Christmas meal and not help me. So, so life, it was a disaster, by the way. I had to put it in the microwave and then <laughs> put it back in the oven. It's like I had no idea how long it took to cook. Yeah, I, but um, I do the love expectation. That you can laugh about it now, though. I'm sure it wasn't funny. Then, but it's, 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 it's very nice that you can laugh. And, because it, trauma, you, you can develop a very dark sense of humor. And it's kind of how we get through life where it's like, yeah, like this was kind of a, a shitstorm, but you know it's it's funny to me now yeah well i've let all of it all of it go but so that just wanted me to it wanted life just to carry on yeah. as, as normal and i don't i don't remember him ever crying i don't remember my brother ever crying we just went on with life right well, so yeah. i was ready yeah your dad probably beat you down so much verbally where it's just he made you feel like you couldn't share an emotion. Even if you cry, you may make sounds. And obviously he, he, he didn't want to hear loud sounds. Um, and then I'm sure there yeah. was probably a conflicting feeling of how much do I love my mother? Because she wasn't always the most attentive and affectionate person. Um, even though you knew somewhere deep down she did care about you. But when someone doesn't show it all the time, you know, or the last time, like you remember the last time you had a hug and you, you can count it on one hand. It's like maybe she didn't really love me after all. You know, if she would love yeah. me, maybe she would have left him. Maybe she would have done this and that. But again, when someone's, you know, intoxicated half of the day, it's hard to really know. Because even, even when they come down from their intoxication, they're probably still a little buzzed. So you don't really know, like, fully sober, like, what she was probably like. Um, so there's probably... Right, well, plus she had cancer. She actually had had cancer, we think, for many years. And she had a really bad smoker's cough. Yeah. And because she had these tumors in her throat, so she would cough for most of the day. So it was really actually hard to even have a conversation with her because she needed to cough. Right. Wow. So, yeah, it was really difficult. That that last year or so was, was pretty difficult. Yeah, I'm sure. But, I mean, did, did it, when you cried it out, like, did it feel good? Were you embarrassed? It did feel good. So he used this technique with me that's called emotional freezing technique, right. which is, which is, um, sorry, I've got a phone call. I actually want to try and I'll just leave it. Um, so it's, uh, it's called emotional freedom technique. It's also called tapping, which, so we're tapping on the body 
and we're feeling those feelings. So he, like this doctor, talks through, or I talk through with him, finding her and what it was like, and it was kind of the surface level story of finding her in the bathroom. And we're tapping through these places on the body as I'm talking through. So the tears came right at that point. The tears were flowing. And and we kept tapping until the tears had come out. But this is kind of the first level. So we did it for about 15 minutes. And then when I walked away from the appointment, I could tell the story in my mind without the tears there because I'd released them. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was just a huge shift. It's like that you can do this. <laughs> you, those are stored in the body. That was the first inkling of these emotions are really, they're just stored physically in the body and you can do something like that and just let it go that quickly. Right. Can you, can you so, explain a little bit like what, what you guys were doing? I know there was a lot of like, you kind of, you're talking it out and then you're, you're hitting certain points of your body, but can you explain it a little bit for people who don't know what it is? Sure. So it's a little bit like acupressure. So we're tapping on these points in the body. So the first point is the karate chop point on the side of hand. And I'm saying something like, you know, even though my dad shouted at me, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. Well, there's different phrases. I don't use that phrase anymore, but um, that's one of the phrases you can use. As you're tapping on the side of hand, you're saying that. Even though my dad shouted at me, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And then the next point is the crown point on the top of the head. So I tap there as I'm saying my dad shouted at me. And then I move through these points. The next one's the beginning of the eyebrows, then the edge of the eye, then the bone under the eye, then under the nose, on the chin, on the collarbone, and under the arm. And you can look online if you want to find the exact points. Right, I'll put a video. And you just... You just talk through it. So so with me, I was talking through this event. So I would start with, you know, I woke up in the morning and it was quiet. And that in itself was a little bit scary because I it felt different. And then, you know, I needed to pee, got up, went to the bathroom, saw her there. So I would talk through it. And when I felt an emotion, so like I was panicked when I saw her there. So then I would talk, I would keep tapping, talk about feeling panicked or feeling afraid, keep tapping until the emotion dissipates. And then I would move on with a story, still tapping the whole time. So we're just tapping through these points in the body. And that is kind of energetically letting go of the energy that's stored in the, in the body, in the neurological system. And it just it kind of lets it out of the body and you just keep doing it and as you do it it actually gives you feedback it's one of the great things about EFT you know something is releasing because tears obviously are releasing tension but you might yawn some people burp some people get really tired um the voice changes right so as I'm starting as I'm tapping and the tears are coming, right? You can hear that. You would be able to hear that in my voice. Or if I was angry, you would hear it in my voice. And as you tap and let the energy go, you just lighten up, right? You can tell the energy is gone. The voice changes. It sounds like I'm just reading from a book. And you know at that point that you've actually released some energy from the body. <clears throat> How often would you do this a day? 
Well, that was the first time. And then I went home and I wanted to know it worked because, you know, I have this engineering background. I didn't want to think it's just a fluke. So I had this 17-year-old cat at home at the time. And we'd just been told he needed daily saline shots. And I hated shots. I'd had so many from living across the world and boarding school and everything. I really, really hated them. So the first time I gave him a shot, my hand was shaking so much that I was not going to be able to do this every day. And so I thought, well, this is a great test for it. So I tapped. I tapped about my fear of giving him the injection, my ship, my fear of hurting him. I tapped about my hand shaking, and I tapped about my memories around injections. So all the different aspects of this one experience. And the next day, the needle just slid right in. My hand did not shake at all. So it was at that point that I recognized this is a deceptively powerful technique. Right? It doesn't look like it's doing much, but, but boy, that was a change. And every day after that, it just slid right in. So that's when I started using it. Now, the things that you say to yourself, do you say like, I hate giving needles or do you say I, I'm giving, like, do you address what's happening or do you say what you don't like about it? Like, how do you, how do you say it when you're, when you're, whatever, however you say it, do you, you say it out loud? Do you say All it of that. Okay. All of that. You, you say your exact truth. And that's, that's kind of the hardest part is finding our truth because we, we kind of hide it. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we'll tell ourselves what we're not supposed to hate. So I'm not going to say I hate. Even if we really hate, if we really hate, that's what we say. So I would say, like, I, I hate giving injections. I so hate giving injections. I hate injections, period. Right? I had so many injections, and I just hated every single one. So it's, it's our actual truth, and that's what we tap on until we release it. Because we, when we fully accept what we're actually feeling, mm. it releases so that's what that's what we tap on. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm, I've been looking into it because of you, and it's very interesting. Like, I, I love different theories on how to battle trauma and, and mental health. Uh, however, whatever works. And again, not everything works for everyone. Every people have it's it's kind of like dieting, where everyone has their own form of dieting. Um, but I mean, this is it's I've never heard of this before. And I, once I started looking into it, and obviously how much you can tell how much you can tell the audience how much it actually has helped you over the years. But it, you know, I'm very curious, and you know, I definitely want to give it a try. Good. Well, the first thing I started doing was noticing during the day when I felt emotional, right? When something I was reacting to something, and it's hard to catch that to begin with. That's the first step. Is actually noticing when we're becoming emotional and not getting caught up in the emotions. So we're kind of standing back from a little bit. I can see that I'm coming emotional and then I can tap about it. And I can just, the words we're using when we're tapping are just to bring the emotion back into our body, the energy back into our body, which then we release through the tapping. So that's what the words are for. But if we're feeling emotional right now, right, if something's happening, we're feeling stressed or Something's happened that's triggered us. We can just tap. We don't even have to use words at that point. Right. So I would let my my son or my younger son when he was younger used to have nightmares at night, and I would go up there and I would just tap on him. I didn't have to say anything because he was already feeling the emotions. Hmm. So I would tap a few times, and then he would just say, "Okay, mom, I'm all done. I can go back to sleep now." Wow, oh, that's cool. Um. 
So you saw progress like instantly then. Well, that experience with the, the needles, yeah, that proved to me that, yeah, this is, this is really, it's going to make a difference. And so, yeah, I started using it. I started using it every day. And I actually found my mind starting to become quiet, which was my goal. I wanted to be peaceful on the inside. So I knew there was a technique where you could write down every emotional memory from childhood. So I did that. I wrote down everything I could remember from my childhood, all the things my dad did, all the things my mom and brother did, every experience I had. And I tapped through one each night. I tapped for about an hour to an hour and a half each night. And I found my mind becoming quiet. And it was, it was so different. I remember opening the kitchen door one day and saying to myself, I feel like I'm living in a different reality because all that noise has gone from my mind. Yeah. I, I know. The, yeah. I know the feeling. It, yeah. It was amazing. And so that's when I recognized that the words that I've been using to criticize myself and judge other people, those had been my dad's words that I had programmed into myself in childhood and just replayed over and over again. But I couldn't see that until they were gone and I could look back and see that they were his words. Yeah. Do you ever have like the feeling where like you may have like this conflicting argument in your head and you're trying to figure out if you're manifesting it yourself by just like create, like you're just coming up with it just on intentionally just to sabotage yourself. Or is it just a thought that, you know, naturally is just coming from the back of your brain. Cause like I've, I've just would have these, you know, I always said it's kind of like the, the cartoonish like devil and angel. that's just back and forth, just yammering at each other. And one's overly positive and one's overly negative, And they're kind of both wrong. Uh, but they're both kind of right also. And, and you got to stay somewhere in the middle. But there's so many times where I'm just like, these thoughts will come out of nowhere. And I'm just trying to figure out like, am I intentionally doing this to myself? And I just, I never come up with a real answer because I'm like, oh. <laughs> I think, I think of it kind of like as the, that it's a frequency and the frequency we're at, we pick up on these thoughts. But they're probably thoughts we've experienced before. And we tend to replay them over and over again. But with tapping, what you would do is you would tap on both of those thoughts. And you would actually say them out loud. Part of me is thinking this and part of me is thinking this. And then you'd go back and forth and you'd say them over and over again until the energy behind them has released. And then sometimes you can't even remember what it was you were thinking about because it releases so quickly. But you're likely to then notice either that thought doesn't come up as much anymore or it doesn't come up at all. Right. Um, can you tell the people like what, what your update is as far as like how well it has helped you uh, as far as your health goes? Well, that's really was only the first step of oh. my journey. <laughs> so I realized it's opening up the subconscious mind and it's expanding the awareness. So I became aware of how I felt. So I became aware of the emotions but underneath every emotion is a set of physical sensations. So then I became aware of the physical sensations, right? So if we're feeling frustrated, we've actually got tension somewhere in our body. And I would become aware of that tension. And then at that point, I started, I used this technique I call feeling your feelings, which is like such an obvious naming. <laughs> but it's not as easy to do as you might think to actually feel those physical sensations. But when you do, when you can focus on them long enough, they will shift. Just like the words and the emotions from doing the tapping, 
they will actually start to dissipate. And so I would do that over and over. I'd think the thoughts, I'd had emotion, I'd feel those sensations and allow it to, to dissipate. And then I'd feel it again and it would dissipate some more and some more and more. And this whole time, I'm kind of letting go of that burden that I've been holding all these years. And my body's feeling lighter, right? I'm, I'm feeling freer. Mm-hmm. And my mind's getting quieter and quieter. And then at some point during this process, I actually realized that I could keep my awareness inside my body as opposed to on the tension. I, I could actually go inside. And the way I try and explain this is if you've got a toothache or a stomachache, you can put your focused awareness on where that's coming from. Right? You, you can pinpoint it with your mind. But once the, the pain has gone, you can't get back inside. You can't tell where it's coming from. And I found out I could do that. So this is what I think is the original meaning of the word insight. So then I started doing this. And then I could move my awareness around insight and I could focus on tension. I could feel tension on the inside. And I could hold my awareness on it for long enough, accept it, and it would let go. It would dissipate. And then I'd put my awareness back on it and more would dissipate. And I would do this over and over again. But now that I'm, I'm at a deeper level, and then at some point, I could actually put my awareness in my face, inside my skull, and do the same thing. And at some point, I actually had let go of enough tension that I felt something release. And I could hear it and feel it. And it sounded like old fabric ripping. And it was a little weird to begin with, a little scary. I didn't know if I was hurting myself. But I knew it was the next step on the journey. And so I actually researched it and realized that it's the connective tissue. It's the bonds and the connective tissue releasing. And so I'm just releasing tension at a deeper and deeper layer level in the body. And so I had these x-rays taken this last year that show the shift in my skull bones from 2013 to this last year. And my whole skull structure has changed. My jaw has centered. My neck has straightened. Somewhat is more to go because I have scoliosis. Um, my eye sockets have aligned and I have grown half an inch because I've straightened up more. So I know this is releasing tension inside the body at a deeper and deeper level. Yeah. Didn't you say it improved your eyesight too? Yes. Yeah. It, lots of things. My eyesight has improved about 20%. Wow. That's a lot. And because it's releasing tension right in the in the whole skull it's just relaxing more into alignment so all the senses are working better right? something's just tastes sublime to me and and i never experienced that before at this level and it's it's a knowing at a deeper and deeper level and a release of dis-ease at a deeper and deeper level so you know someone like you or maybe the people who are listening, right? The, the potential is there to, I mean, there's a huge potential there. I don't know what this work could do, but I know what it's done for me, but I just feel like there's, there's so much hope of what it can do for other people as well. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, like I said to you earlier, like I, if you share the, you know, just saying someone did this technique, it, it's great. And it worked for them, but to know everything that you went through and all the trauma you went through and the fact that, uh, 
you use this technique and now your life, especially physically is, is so much different and mentally you're so much better. And, um, because obviously you were carrying that for a long, long time. And, and now, you know, and you had, and you, you know, you, you were in your thirties, you had your kids, you were married. So you had good things presently in your life, but you still were holding on to all the things that happened to you in your past. And now it's yeah. like, you're just a happy person. Yeah, all, all that weight has been lifted. And, you know, when, when we change how we're feeling on the inside, we attract better things to us as well. Right? So, you know, life at home, life with my kids, I was much more peaceful. So the whole household was more peaceful. Right? And I would attract fun things into my life and just feel lighter, feel much more at peace and at ease. Yeah, so there's huge changes. Oh, yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. I'm very, very happy for you because, as I said, you know, one of the things you said earlier about, you know, people who go through a lot of trauma, like when they make it out, there's a lot of, that good can come from it. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't make it out. And they don't have the story to tell because they're no longer here. And for you to still be here and not you know I mean, you know obviously you saw what happened to your brother and that could have been your reality easily but you went so far from it that um you found a way to to better your life and you know lead by example especially for your kids uh yeah and one of the reasons i'm sharing my story is because there's so many people out there that are depressed and um don't have hope, but that I know I now know how much more there is to life. Right, there's, there's a huge depth to life that I didn't realize 10, 15 years ago. I didn't realize how much depth there is to life because once you have this knowing yourself at this depth on the inside, we actually have the same on the outside. Right, that phrase "as within, so without" is so true. Right, so I have this deep awareness of the inside of me, but, but I also have an awareness of the outside of me, right? So I can feel at a deeper level. I can feel music. I can feel sounds deep inside my body. I can see things in other people. I can see where they're holding tension. I can see where they're, they're not breathing into part of their body, right? If they're not breathing fully into their body, this part of their body, they're hiding from us. So there's all these other aspects to life that we've hidden away and that we don't recognize until we start letting go of this burden that we've been carrying and then it starts to open up. So there is so much more to life and I hope other people will get to see it. Yeah. And you broke the cycle because your narrative was pretty much already written in stone that you're probably just going to end up like the rest of your family did, whether dead, I don't know, but at least an alcoholic and you broke the chain that, you know, a lot of people just, you know, people don't really realize how much is passed down to them until they get older. And they realize they're a lot like their parents and siblings more than they they imagine. It's just, just because not everything is on the surface. Like, it's just right there for you to, to, to grasp. Uh, some of it is just internal and it's just there, just festering. And then you get older and you just realize, like, oh, yeah, I'm a lot like my grandpa. Or I'm a lot like my dad or mom or whoever. Um, yeah, and if you, yeah, because that's our normal. That's what we've kind of attracted to. Yeah. 
Do you, so a question that a lot or a, a topic that always comes up when it is, do you, do you fully believe that uh, addiction is a disease? It is a dis-ease, right? <laughs> right? And then pull the world, word apart into two. Yeah, it is dis-ease. I personally, I absolutely believe that anything like that can be overcome. Mm-hmm. But it takes work, right? I mean, I spent hours and hours doing this work, and I had to be willing to do it. So there has to be a willingness to work through these things. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, do you do you drink at all? No, no, I did a little bit occasionally, but I've decided in the last few years that I'm just not interested in it. Yeah, not even like a glass of wine or anything for celebration or anything. You're just avoiding it altogether. Yeah, there's, there's no need. I don't particularly like it, so no. Yeah, I hear you. Is, is there a party that just feels like you'll you'll be tempted by it? No. Okay. Well, I, I think no. I think what helps you though is the fact that that they're biologically they're not your you know your parents, so it's you don't necessarily you might not have the genes that they have. Obviously, you had the trauma from being there and seeing what they went through, but a lot of times it's way worse when it's you know some of those genes are passed down where it you're innately just wanting alcohol. Um, like I said, it's a gene that they was passed down from their father or their mother. Whereas in this case you were adopted. So maybe you don't have that, that urge to, to want to drink. Yeah, I don't, my mother is still alive. My birth mother is still alive and I don't think she drinks, but I, I suspect my brother's parents probably did. Okay. Yeah. And see, there you yeah. go. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, that's, yeah. there, there's a plus, I mean, you know, as far as the being adopted and going through that, the only the only real reason to want to do what your parents did is kind of like what your brother did. Just, you know, consume as much as possible so you don't have to deal with all the, 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 the bullshit that was being thrown at him. Um, where yeah, you, right. You we do it. it. I mean, my parents probably did it too because they didn't want to have to feel. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And again, yeah. Like I said, it's a cycle and you, you broke the cycle in, in your own way. Um, yeah. Do you have Do you have a book or something to promote? I do. I wrote a book about the story. I went through my story, all the different steps that I took that we just talked through. It's called The Pathway to Insight. Okay. Yeah, and it's available you know, in regular places, Amazon, and you can ask your local bookstore to order it. But yeah, it talks through my understanding of the law of attraction and how all this gets stored in us in childhood. And we replay it, and then the the steps that I went through to to yeah. get to the place where I could actually look inside. Do you have an audio book? Not yet. You There's an ebook. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, because I think you'd be great because you have a great voice, but also some of these things are very therapeutic in in, in the voice, especially with all this. Uh, what is it? The the SMR, like all the things that like you can listen to sound effects and whatever, and it just calms you down. And I think you explaining. Because it, it, it can be really like, um, whatchamacallit, uh, uh, meditating. Because I've, I've listened to like meditating apps and they, you know, it's just relaxing and it's just kind of you and the other person's voice and they're just saying, you know, breathe in and do all these different things. But you're actually explaining, obviously, the journey, but also, you know, you can have a part in there where you're going through the actual steps and you're helping them to go, you know, you're walking them through it. Uh, I think it would be very... Like I said, very relaxing and, and might actually 
helps somebody even more so than actually having to read it because you can kind of go through the steps while you're saying them. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'd actually like to do that. But isn't that funny that you, you say that about my voice and yet I grew up with my voice being teased, right? I was teased about my voice. So it's, it's really interesting to me how that comes back around. And also, you know, I was not, I had no self-confidence as a child or a young woman. And yet when I look at those x-rays of last year compared to 2013, the side x-rays, right, the view from the side, I can see that the, the skull I'm looking at from last year is a much more self-confident skull than the one from 2013, which to me is really interesting, right? Because as I let go of this tension, my whole posture has changed to one that looks more self-confident. So yeah, it's just interesting to me how that happens. Yeah, you're evolving in your in a, in a realistic way. Like it's, your body's like legitimately evolving, and it's not just like oh, you're getting older, and you know this and this is happening to your body. Like you're actually improving your body as you get older based on the techniques you're using. So um, right, and I I would have loved to have known like how ten fifteen years ago. You know, you can actually become more self confident by doing this, right? And actually see those physical changes. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's part of why I'm sharing this. But the, but the good thing, as far especially like with with your your husband, like he got to see you at your worst, and he accepted you, even if he you didn't know everything. He still got to see you when you weren't as confident, when you weren't as you weren't the best version of you, and now you are. And I'm sure he's even happier. But he was already content with you anyway. So he got to go along this journey. Maybe he didn't get to see the the worst parts of your life, but he got to see some of them. And he accepted you no matter what. So that, that kind of is what brought you together and, and why I'm, I'm sure you're very, very loyal and, and loving towards him because of what he accepted and put up with in the, in the very beginning. Yeah, it's a good thing he couldn't see inside my mind. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, it's all right. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody wants anyone to see in their mind because there's, there's so much <laughs> no. clutter and nonsense up there. But um <laughs> But yeah, no, but I'm very, I'm very grateful that you, you came on and you wanted to share this story. Um, you know, I really hope you, hope we can keep in touch. Like I said, anything you can, you want from me, I'll support you in anything you can. Cause like I said, I think you're a very uh, sweet person. I'm very happy you're, you're, you're brave enough to, to share this story. Thank you. Thank you for pulling so much out of me. <laughs> I, I just asking questions. I, I hope I didn't, I, you didn't say I couldn't ask anything. So I, no, no, you did great. That, that, that was really, it was really good. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually gonna just end it and then I'll, I'll don't hang up though. I'll just end it quick. And, uh, okay. Oh, oh, shit. I ended it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to hit the uh, music here and then I'll call her back. Bye guys. Mm-hmm.